off on another episode of Hero Paranormal Podcast, broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the original overseer of the airwaves, bringing you an epic episode tonight. Who do we have? Well, they don't get much better. The founder of the Utah UFO Hunters. He's been on just about every TV show and podcast you can imagine, he is a epic force here in Utah and was basically investigating things that went bump in the night long before it was popular. I remember hearing about these things from his very mouth, and he is uh, far from just a, how can I put it, feature in Utah lore. He is an integral part of the entire phenomena having researched just about everything and anything way before the Uinta Basin was popular. He was there way before Dugway was popular. He was there. It is the one, the only Dave Rosenfeld. Welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. Hey, man, it's uh, good to hear from you. I've been good. Um, You know, can't complain. Good, good. Have you heard of anything strange or out of this world lately? You're definitely always kind of with your ear to the ground up there in Utah and checking stuff out. Um, nothing like super, super cool recently. Um, I do have this photograph, though, that I've been researching. Um, I'm trying to get the guy to send me the rest of the photos, but it's an incredible photo of a craft leaving Michael Army Airfield in Dugway. It's probably one of the best pictures I've seen of a UFO at night. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. And you do always have, like, killer photos, man. Um, speaking of UFOs, what are your thoughts and feelings of the press and the media? They seem to be highly focused on UFOs lately. What's up with all the attention? Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, in my opinion, um, all this, you know, tip stuff and, all, you know, the that kind of uh, exposure that UFOs are getting lately is kind of like a, I guess you would call it a soft disclosure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they're doing this because they can't hide it forever. And I think that um, it's getting to the point where something, I think something's going to happen. And like I say, they're not going to be able to hide it. So they're getting people used to the fact that UFOs are real. But the real question people have to ask, I guess, is, now that the U.S. government and all these other countries and stuff have come forward and saying, you know, UFOs are real, the question you have to ask now is, who's behind them? Right. Like, what the heck are UFOs? And there's, um, I'm glad that you said soft disclosure, because there's been a lot in the news and even the mainstream media about disclosure. And a lot of people have said soft disclosure has already happened. And... Um, it is uh, seeming like the something's going on. Right. And like I said, for, for them to be coming out with, you know, I understand how um, they use this, this Navy footage and the Air Force footage and stuff because, you know, it's clear. It's, it's um, you know, all this high-tech stuff. But in all reality, I think that certain civilians have gotten better footage than that. I think it's just because that footage shows, you know, speed and altitude and, and, and all that, um, that it's more credible. But I do believe, I do see it out there too. You know, people taking these incredible videos and incredible photos of UFOs. And, and I think some of that is actually better evidence, um, than the A-tip stuff. That's my opinion. I agree 100%. And I think that um, a lot of credence is given to these military photos, videos, and people, 
as witnesses because they share common, well, you know, uh, commonly soldiers in the past were called jarheads because you could kind of smash all the same information into a jar, close it up, and that's what you have. And that's what they want is somebody who will accept rules and regulations and answer questions the way they are designed and the way they ask them. So like if they talk to a civilian and say, um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but if they talk to a civilian and say, you know, what did you film? They're going to get a hundred different answers. But if they talk to, you know, people, officers that are trained the same, they're going to get different answers, but in the same jargon. So they know more like what they're dealing with. And I think, man, something really strange, Dave, is now some of these photos coming out show HD imagery. Well, I shouldn't say coming out because they're not out yet, but current. Okay. So I I can say that out of the Elizondo camp, um, it's not all garbage. Some things that there, anyway, there's HD photos of UFOs coming out that show occupants. And people have been saying this for years, that in highly defined, high definition photos, you can actually see occupants oftentimes in these quote unquote portholes. Have you heard of this? Yes. Yes. I think one of the more famous ones is that uh, footage from, I think, Norway or where a craft landed on the ground and somebody had filmed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, when you zoom in on that footage, you can see like creatures walking around in the windows. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the major cases, they describe similar things. Like they, uh, they can see you through these things. And, you know, I've heard cases like this out of the Uinta Basin. And you've been studying the Uinta Basin way before it was a paranormal hotspot and the deluge of quote-unquote experts what do you think is the future of the Uinta Basin from a paranormal perspective? Because I remember hearing you talk about the Uinta Basin, and this was, oh, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. All right. The basin is, is a hotspot. I mean, um, something about the basin, um, and, the, it, and like I say, the basin kind of goes into Colorado as well, into Mysterious Valley. That's kind of all kind of the same basin. Mm-hmm. Um, the high strangeness of, of this area is uh, is immense. I mean, it's it's not just UFOs; it's all sorts of things. It's creatures and and poltergeist activity and portals and just all around strangeness. Um, I don't know what to to think of it all. I think that maybe um, there's something geological that might be involved there. Let's say. Um, metals or, or, or even, a, even a combination of things that seems to attract them there, um, unless, unless, now this is just an opinion, there's something ancient there, like an ancient stargate or portal that these things are coming through. Um, that would be another theory on, on why the basin is so, such a hot spot for this activity. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, Skinwalker Ranch, the theories there are also, you know, there, there could be a, a portal Stargate type type situation going on there. And um, I think that uh, maybe even Bigelow um, kind of found out what was going on there. I don't, I don't, cause I don't really see Bigelow selling the property without answers, without having some kind of answer. Cause I just don't see him doing that. So to just give up on that, that property like that. So maybe he did find what he was looking for. Maybe he didn't, maybe he found enough to, to satisfy his curiosity about the place before he sold it. But, um, I think that there's more to the basin than we realize. And I think that, uh, it's not just the UFO thing there. It's, you know, it's, it's the whole gambit of paranormal and supernatural that happens there that, that has some kind of, um, whether it be natural or artificial, some, some, some type of intent, you know, behind it. So, yeah. And I'm super stoked that you mention other experiences, not just UFO, because there have been a bunch of different ones. Um, everything from crypto creatures to 
strange underground rumblings. I mean, men in black, there's a long list and it, it it's funny how everybody focuses on UFOs, especially lately. Yeah. But it seems to be the most prevalent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what people like to talk about too. I mean, a lot of the, the residents in the basin, they see this kind of stuff all the time and they just don't, they just don't mention it. They, they think it's kind of like normal because they grew up with it. So when they see a strange thing out in their field or a strange creature, some weird tracks, they just don't report that. They just don't share it. And so it's kind of a, a norm for them. And so a lot of this stuff that happens in the basin, I think, is is not known. It really, yeah, it's it's really mystical. The area, it's rugged. The experiences people have, they keep close to the chest. And um, Dave, you've kind of switching directions. You've also been studying other parts of Utah, not only Southern Utah, but Dugway Proving Ground long before it was popularized. Anything new going on um, in those neck of the woods? Um, nothing new as far as what's going on out there. I did make a trip out there the other week. It was super, super muddy. Um, I actually was testing the roads for a producer who, um, is working with me on a future project. I really like the way or the direction he's heading with it. Um, and that's kind of one reason why uh, I agreed to be involved with it because I, I do agree and like the direction he's going with it. So I was out there kind of testing the waters cause they want to come down and do some shoots and, um, go out to the basin as well. And so I was out there just a couple weeks ago on, and I didn't see anything strange. Um, uh, as far as the, as, as Dugway goes, uh, like I say, the, the only research right now that I'm doing on that, that's that's priority, is this photograph that I got. Um, I'm really trying to reach out to this guy and and keep in contact with him. He said he was going to go to his parents' house and look for these other photos. This was a photo taken back in, um, in like, 2009, 2008 or 2009. Um, they were out there by uh, Topaz doing some rock hunting. They were camping out there and his dad is the one who actually took the photographs. And like I say, he, he described the craft as triangular. And when it lifted off, it, it, it left this glittery trail. Mm. And he says, you could hear it kind of, but it was more or less silent besides this kind of like tone and in the photograph that he sent me, you can see the glittery trail that he was talking about. You can see the propulsion um, on the craft. You can see the shape of the craft. And there's a, also a vehicle in the shot to show you scale and height. And from, from what I see in the photograph, this, this was a, a close encounter. This thing is not far away at all. This is, mm-hmm. this is um, one of the best photographs I've ever seen of a UFO at night. And so I'm trying to get negatives or trying to get the, the other digital photographs, whatever he has um, to go along with that, like a sequence of shots or whatever. And, and I'm still working on trying to get permission to, to post that photo. Um, I've had a couple people look at it. I might've even sent it to you back in the day, but, I'm not sure. I know I sent it to I, a few other people. I do. I think you showed it to me and I do know the photo you're talking and it's eerie. It's freaky and it does paint a picture. It's, it's definitely a good, a good photograph of a UFO. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And so if this is one of, if this is one of our craft, then that just goes to show you that what's going on at Dugway, uh, what I've been researching and exposing um, for the last 20 years or so about Dugway is true. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're using that runway for unconventional craft. 
And if these craft, like say, if this is ours, which it more likely is if it's taken off from that runway, then we have technology way more advanced than what we're showing the public. Way more, way more. And, um, way, what, like 40 years advanced, you know, type stuff. And it makes me think of, you know, what exactly we are toying around with, quote unquote, with toys out in locations doing things. Uh, there has been a lot of UFO reverse engineer lore, everything from Bob Lazar to Element 115 and um, a lot of a lot of legends surrounding this stuff. And a lot of the dots seem fairly connectable. Right, right. Like Philip Philip Corso's book, where he describes, you know, the the process that he went through to take this debris and put it in contractors' hands and, and start the back engineering on it. So, um, it's 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 pretty obvious once you start looking into it. On when you start looking at technology jumps, you know how we went from let's say computers the size of rooms to our smartphones, which has more computing power than the space shuttle used to, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's a huge jump for us in, in, in technology in software in in um, molecular alloys and lasers and microchips and all that. And what, what makes you, what makes me question all this technology jump is why haven't we seen a jump in, let's say the aerospace technology. Why are we still using rockets? Why are we still, you know, why is this, what, why do they want us to think that that's our current technology when we know that they have better and they're suppressing it? And you have to ask the question, why are they suppressing it? Is it because that the energy sources that they're using is zero point when cost doesn't cost you anything? And then people will start asking, well, why can't we get that in our cars and our houses and not pay bills, that's probably a major uh, influence on, on why they're keeping it suppressed. It is very likely, and that's a good point, because I've spoken with people who claim that there was an internet of sorts working during the time of the Vietnam War, you know, stuff that we don't get, this stuff trickles down to us, and by the time we get it, we think we're all of that in a bag of chips, but... It's such old technology at that point that we're really just kind of like, you know, monkeys playing with a lighter. We don't know what we have. That's true. That's true. And I think that maybe some of this technology that we, we back engineered, well, I know for a fact that some of this technology that we back engineered isn't as good as what we found. Mm. It's because we are trying to use earth based earthly materials to try to recreate something that say was built in outer space or with materials that are available here on earth. Yeah. It's like China trying to recreate a Rolls Royce. There's, there's only a certain there's limits. And I've heard that with these, these pieces that fall the slag and things that fall from UFOs and these, these meta materials like arts parts that or Jacques Vallée has uh, spoken quite often about these, they seem to have been made differently, or at least in environments that are different than our own, even sometimes not having oxygen. Right, or cold fusion or, or other processes. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of my favorite things is, and this is weird because you and I have actually seen this, where they drop that like molten material, you know, it really makes you wonder what is taking place here. What am I looking at? Is it a, is it, is it a craft a nuts and bolts craft? Is it, you know, some, and, and, and it's unfair because it's something in the sky. It's unfair to, you know, put them all into the same subset, but there's also the possibility. Is it biological? Is it somewhere in between the two? Is it, is it something that just reads, the thoughts of its inhabitants or those managing the vehicle. There's so many questions. Well, you know, in, during my research in, in the UFOs and stuff, I've come across stories where um, 
let's say a pilot is, I think one of the stories I read was a pilot in Costa Rica um, got con- had some kind of encounter with the UFO in his fighter plane and was given the okay to shoot at the UFO. And when he armed his, his guns, he lost all control of the plane and ended up crashing the plane. Afterwards, I guess there was some kind of contact with the aliens and the Costa Rica Air Force. And, you know, this story is, a, is very old. Um, I don't remember everything, but I do believe reading a part where the, the so-called occupants or the ETs were explaining that it wasn't them who disabled the craft disabled the the pilot's plane. It was the craft itself that was defending itself. So I took that and I put it in the gray box, you know, and then you start hearing about, let's say Elon Musk right now is, is doing this, you know, we, to, to make the technology that we're using nowadays quicker. So instead of using your finger on your phone, you would be, it would be a Neuralink. So you would have a chip in your brain, and all you would have to do is think it, and the computer would do it. And so you think about that. You, you have computers out there right now that are working faster than the human brain can work, can actually you know, do things faster than a human can do because they're not using their fingers, they're not using their hands, they're not using their eyes, they're just doing it. And so you think about it, if if technology is heading that way now, you take that into consideration. Okay, here's a, here's a civilization out there that's say millions of years ahead of us, and they've mastered this technology, this Neuralink, let's say, let's call it, where there are no buttons, there are no controls, it's all thought activated. So there's this creature or this being gets in the craft he thinks where he wants to go and the craft takes him there and the craft itself is so intelligent because it's ai whether it be a biological or machine has the ability to defend itself before the occupant even knows that there's a danger mm. you understand so if you start shooting at a ufo the occupant doesn't need to see you shooting at it or know that you're shooting at the craft already knows it's being attacked and defends itself. Makes perfect sense. It's machine learning. It's what it's designed to do. Right. You start looking at some of this stuff out there with this AI, you know, these robots are making that look like humans and they can walk around and this, that they're, they're saying that these things will be smarter than us. They will react faster than us because they're computing power so you think about that. Okay, if you're making a craft that's kind of like a robot and it's, it's designed to, to protect you from space or debris or whatever, whatever you come across in, in your travels, of course, it's going to be smarter than the occupant. It's going to react faster. It's going to do all that. And so I think that's the word the technology is going nowadays is this thought-activated type of technology. But if you, you take that idea and you put it into the UFO subject, then it kind of made sense on some of this, the maneuvers that the UFOs make, the, the defense capabilities of a UFO. I mean, it's, it, it just connects some dots and makes sense to me. Well, man, it's, I don't know if you've had the opportunity, I'm sure you have, to have seen, you know, Elon Musk's uh, rockets re-entering our atmosphere and landing themselves, it looks to me like something out of a science fiction movie. Right. Yeah. It doesn't look real. It looks like, it looks like, yeah, a movie. Exactly. Like you would see something, you know, in some, I don't know, 1960s movie. Because I mean, what, what gets me is the rocket thing. That's what that's what blows me away. Is that why are we still using rockets when there's better propulsion systems out there? 
You know, I, I think it's because that's what they want the public to see. That's what it is. Exactly. That's what they want the public to think, oh, this is current technology. This is the best of the best. But me and you, I mean, we both know. I mean, I've met people that worked at Dugway that tell me about, let's say, the Adventure Starcraft. It's, you know, third generation, anti-gravity craft. Doesn't need any support. Doesn't need a huge launch facility. It doesn't need any, you know, any kind of ground support or nothing. It's just a different type of technology, a different type of propulsion system. It's not using rockets. It's not, it's, it's totally probably zero point and total anti-gravity. So if we have that kind, kind of technology, why aren't we using that in the public eye? That's the big question I have because to me, it just doesn't make sense. If, if, and then people are like, okay, well, if they have that type of technology, it wouldn't be secret. Somebody would have talked by now. Well, I wonder that because we often hear these little tidbits come through the media. For example, when they quote unquote got bin Laden, which everybody has their opinion about that, this SEAL team had to detonate explosive to destroy one of the craft. They said it was a helicopter, but they had to destroy one of the craft that they claimed malfunctioned or tapped the fence or laid down or whatever. And that just kind of seems a little bit excessive to me for a helicopter. Do you know what I mean? That's like, I don't care how awesome the helicopter is, but to just destroy it, vaporize it. And every once in a while, there are these things that come through the media where you're like, why did, why did they destroy that? And it makes you wonder, you know, are we using these things? Are we using cloak, cloak, cloaking technology on reverse engineered craft? And it's stuff that we cannot have our enemies see. Well, that's probably one of the big reasons is they don't want, you know, our enemies to see it. But you think about it, too. I mean, if, if the Russians had come across a banned UFO back in the 50s, which is probably more than likely, mm-hmm. then they were already probably 30 years ahead of us on the back engineering scale. Because when Colonel Corso started handing out materials from the Roswell craft, he sat on it for 30 years before they started moving that stuff. You know? Unbelievable so um, amount of time. That, that's one of the things. I mean, if, if the Chinese had one, I mean, they're, they're probably way ahead of us. I mean, so you think about it, and, you know, and, and also you have to look at it like this, okay? Like Elon Musk, okay, he has the ability to leave the planet, okay? And this is a public figure, a, a billionaire that's eccentric and wants to do his own thing and this and that, and so he's in the public eye, so he's, he's doing this. But you think about, let's say, um, a military contractor like Boeing or Raytheon or one of those, you know, Lockheed or something. And let's say they get a contract, okay, the U.S. government wants you to build a TR-3D. And we want two of them. So they give you, you know, $30 billion, and Lockheed goes in and makes five of them. Gives the government two and keeps three for themselves. What's to say that that's not happening or happened already and that these secret programs are, are run by individuals that are out of the public eye, totally black, and let's say they're leaving the planet on a regular basis. And so they're starting, let's say, their own civilization somewhere. So you have this breakaway civilization. And I think that that's probably happening right now. And I pro- it probably happened back in World War II with, let's say, the Vril Society. Right? The German, the German technology that was going on. And they, they kind of escaped to mm-hmm. Argentina mm-hmm. and and pine bush and that those type of locations and and i think that maybe a lot of the ufo sightings back in the 50s and 60s was this technology that was earthly based it was german technology that was back engineered from et tech or whatever but they're flying around in these craft and people and they probably themselves probably 
encouraged the media to think that they were UFOs instead of what they really are. So you look at a big picture and you're thinking, okay, if this was happening back in the 50s and 60s, it's definitely happening now. There's breakaway civilizations happening. There's, there's, there's probably... There's probably numerous ones out there that are either living on other planets, living on the moon, living underground, living in the ocean. Who who knows? Who knows how far they've taken it? But with the, the amount of money that, that goes into black projects, you know that that's probably happening. Well, the moon is a perfect example. Here is a public relations, in my opinion, situation or nightmare, really, because it's the closest and we apparently went there the first in 1969. And then we are led to believe we have not been back. Now, this is really hard to believe, you know, from just a lay, maybe it's just the, you know, civilian layperson perspective, but I find that hard to believe. Me too. Me too. Unless, unless the moon is inhabited. Mm-hmm. And when we went to the moon and, and we had now, now this is, this is, you can look this up. It's documented. Um, we intended to nuke the moon. And every time we landed on the moon, we put seismograph meters on there for that purpose. Later on, the plan was to nuke the moon. I don't know why, just to see what would happen. I don't know how scientists are just crazy like that. Let's just try it. You know, <laughs> You know, it's like CERN and, you know, all these type of experiments. We don't know what's going to happen, but let's push the button anyway, you know, so. What's the worst that can happen? Right, right. Right, right. We just fry the earth, that's all, you know. But anyways, I think there's inhabitants on the moon that found out our agenda and said, don't you come back. You're not allowed. And I think maybe that's one reason why we haven't been back. And that's why we're skipping the moon and going to Mars. It is weird. It is really weird that we have not at least set up, you know, there are minerals on the moon that we need for cell phones, etc. It's very strange that being as close as it is and with our technology advancements and all of this capability that, you know, we can blast a rover into space to Mars and we can blast and telescope a million miles and you know but we cannot seem to grasp or get a hold of the moon in any way or shape or form that is relatively impressive i mean really we haven't been back at all yeah 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 or, or even practical because you think that the moon would be a great stepping stone to explore space further. So, I mean, if you had a, a base on the moon where you could leave the earth, go to that base on the moon and leave the moon to go to Mars or wherever, I think that would be a, a, a practical solution to space travel. And, and, and then to take it a step farther, yes, there's minerals and, and, and resources on the moon that we could be harvesting as well. So, and what better place to, let's say, set up satellites and communications and stuff for the Earth? You know? I, I just don't get it myself. I think that there's more to it than, than what they're telling us. And I do believe that there, there's probably some kind of intelligence on the moon that probably warned us, you know, back in the Apollo days to, to not come back. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I heard an interesting story, and I, and I can't remember it all or where I even got it. But because, you know, I've been in this so long that some of this stuff you just, you just put in the gray box for later. But I did hear a rumor about somebody, I think it was somebody from NASA who off the cuff told me that we were not the first, the Americans were not the first ones on the moon. That when we landed on the moon, we found a monument on the moon that said, we, the people of Earth, put this monument, you know, but it was in Indian. Mm. So like, so like from India, 
what's the main language in in India? Hindu. In, interesting. Yeah. So you're th- this this would kind of take all of the dazzle out of being the first on the moon. Right. And that was a huge secret, but it had to do with ancient technology from India, like the Vimadas. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not, but that's something I heard off the cuff. And I've always kind of held on to that going, okay, well, maybe we weren't, you know, the first on the moon, at least earthling on the moon. <laughs> you know, so. Well, and there's other stories that are really interesting. The Dutch national national museum said um, in 2009 that one of its most prized possessions, a rock supposedly brought back from the moon by us astronauts was just Pretrified wood. So it was fake. It was fake. Yeah. I mean, so there's so much going on. It, it just, you know, like you said, it's, what do you believe? You can either believe we never went, we went and saw something was there. We went, we're still there. We have mining operations. I've heard people claim that there's more going on than we could ever believe, but it's on the backside. So there's a lot of, a lot of strange theories when it comes to something so close to us. Right. The moon is one of those big mysteries in, in the UFO field as well. It's, um, it's really strange that uh, if you start following the money um, with the Apollo program, the stuff that Walt Disney was involved with a lot of that, and you ask why. It's weird. Right. It's so weird. And you ask why, why does NASA have a huge, one of the largest um, um, movie production C, C, um, CGI production studios on the planet. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? You know, why does a space agency need to have a movie theater where they make movies and CGI and all that type of thing? I mean, what's going on there? Are they faking it all? Is it, is it all just a big, big stage that this is what they want us to believe that we're, I mean, because you think about it too, in the Cold War, when we were in the space race and all that, it was, it was our objective to reach the moon to be number one in the space race, right? Mm-hmm. So I have connected some dots and heard some rumors and, and all this that, you know, hey, that Walt Disney was involved with faking moon footage. They had these huge studios and models and scale models and all this to fake the moon landing. Okay. So if we didn't make it to the moon, we could still tell the world that we did. Okay. So then I've heard other stories where, okay, we did make it to the moon, but what we found on the moon, we could never show anybody or show the public. So we, we're going to, roll back to the Disney footage that we set up before and use that instead of the real stuff. So it's a huge mystery and a huge, you know, conspiracy theories and all that type of thing about the moon. I mean, you hear so much of this that's kind of like, well, that kind of makes sense. And hear other stuff I'm like, no, that couldn't happen. And then you're like, years go by. And then you're like, you hear something else. And you're like, okay, well, that now that makes sense. Now you can start connecting some dots and go, Maybe that's the way it went down. Maybe, you know, and so it, it's, it's just one of those things that you have to just keep in that, in that gray folder and say, okay, until something more comes out where we can connect some more dots, it's going to be, you know, an enigma. And I think you're right. That's right where that belongs because it would make sense either way, no matter what, no matter what you were going to encounter on the moon to have footage of a perfect landing, a perfect, you know, patriotic journey and, you know, successful mission, whether it's before, during or afterwards, you know, and Kubrick had a lot, you know, you see some of, you know, Kubrick's work with 2001, a space odyssey and man, that's right around the same time. And a lot of that stuff looks really, really similar believable and stuff that you could right. sell the public. Right. And, you know, at the time in the, you know, 
during the Apollo program, you know, we had black and white TVs, you know, everything was kind of um, low tech back then. And so when you, if you have a, let's say a professional movie studio like Walt Disney creating models and stage sets and stuff like this, and I mean, it could, it could very well pass as the real thing, especially on a black and white TV and, you know, with a delay and all that type of, it could very well be passed off. Fascinating, man. Not only just the Walt Disney aspect, because he's involved with so much occult stuff, but then the fact that he was kind of a dreamer and this kind of stuff is right up his alley. Right. Right. I mean, at the time, he, he was probably the best person to go to for something like that. He had the most um, resources and artists and, you know, creative people on his team already to, to pull off something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would be the perfect agent. And um, interestingly, kind of going in a different direction, more earth-based, Dave, being in Utah, I used to hear all of the rumors and stories and legends about Crossroads Mall and down there around Temple Square. Well, it seems that the temple has been undergoing a huge rebuild have you been able to check any of that out yes it's incredible it was just like the um the rebuild they did what 10 10 20 years ago um across the street from the temple um i do remember go check that that hole that they dug for that building was so deep that when you look through the fence and look down the dump trucks look like little teeny ants. They were, it was so far down. You're like, why are they digging so far? You know, that's a huge amount of material to re, to come out and all. And then you get, then I, of course, you know, being who I am. And I remember, you know, the Branton days in the underground with the crossroads mall and stuff. Like, oh, they're probably refitting some of those tunnels under there, you know, yeah, and uh, hooking up hooking up to those tunnels and, and you're like, okay, well that makes sense why they're going so deep. You know, it was just amazing to see how far they dug. And it was like, why? I mean, that's not parking. That's not, you know? Yeah. We're never allowed to go anywhere near that low or that deep. Right. Right. And like I say, the church has a major influence here in Utah have a lot of lots and lots of money and I do believe if the church did find something underground um, let's say back in the pioneer days when they first got here and something ancient they would have kept it secret they would have used part of it they would have exploited it to their benefit and maybe maybe they did run into some <laughs> you know who knows reptilians down there or something and they've been in cahoots with them. And, you know, a church with that kind of power has a lot of influence on, let's say, the, not only the state, but contractors and and government. And, you know, who, who knows what the reach could be. But if they, if they had something, if they found something and kept it secret and now started sharing it with, um, say, black projects or the government or whatever, it would make sense that they would be allowed to do things that other companies or other churches or other individuals wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do. And that that's one of those things. I mean, the, the depth of that hole blew me away. The amount of material that they took out of that hole. And it was like a city block, you know, that building across from just North of, I forget what that's that right. Called, yeah. Where Crossroads Mall was. Temple, yeah. Was, it's it's a it's a block it's about a city block, and man, it went down. I couldn't even tell you how far it looks. When I looked through the fence there, through the through the plywood, to a knot hole in the plywood, and looked down in there, I was blown away on how deep that was. Well, it's strange. So, no, but I'll have to go. I'll have to go check out the new construction down there, and because we're down there, you know, doing jobs and stuff downtown all the time, I'll have to stop and look. Yeah, it is strange. I remember hearing those stories as well about Crossroads Mall and Crossworlds and like the different, you know, employees 
getting glimpses into some of these back hallways and caverns and tunnel systems and seeing things that weren't necessarily human looking. And um, I was mesmerized. There is, you know, definitely something to the theory that a lot of these major religions, whether it's Catholicism with the Vatican or, of course, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church has it as well. They have these large vault areas with a lot of evidence that could surely lead to something. And whether that's like their own, you know, uh, dismay or not, nobody knows. But they have so many, both, it seems like these major world religions have a lot of dirt. And it's a lot of dirt and it's all hidden hidden away in places where only they can access it. And it makes your head go to different places. Like what exactly are they hiding? All right. Exactly. Like the Vatican and all that. I mean, the the archives they have there, I mean, nobody gets to see. There's also, we'll say the the private individuals like the Rockefellers who have their own museum. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets to see half that stuff that's in there. And, you know, they could be hiding a lot of history back there about, you know, where we come from and what we're doing here and past civilizations and, you know, all that kind of thing. But, hey, getting back to the underground here in Utah, you just reminded me of this story that I heard from a um, a guy that used to work out there at the strip mine on Beck Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I used to hang out with some of these guys and have a beer with them. And, you know, you get a few beers and some of these people and they start spilling the beans on stuff. And this one guy who told me one time, because he kind of knew what I was into, and he came sat down by me one day, and he says, hey, I've got a, a story to tell you what happened today. And he says, i got to tell somebody. So he starts telling me about, hey, he, he's, the, he's one of the guys that drills the holes in the mountainside for the blasting. So he drills all the holes. Guy comes in afterwards, puts the charges in there, and they, they set off this, like, line of explosives to take down part of the, the strip mine there so they can get the gravel and stuff out of there. So... They did this on one day, and it was blasting time, and they blasted a huge line away, and they started cleaning up the muck, the rubble, pushing it down the hill, and they ran into a void. And so him and like three other guys, they they kind of looked in this this space, and he says, "What I seen in there was like a it was like a tunnel." He says, "But what, what was weird about it? It looked like porcelain, like it had been melted." And there was no seams at all. There was no rivets. There was no screws. There was no bolts. There was nothing. It was just like one solid piece of porcelain. Like almost like something went in and melted this hole through the belt. So they went to their boss and they said, hey, you need to come up here and take a look at this. We ran into some void or something. Boss comes up there, sees it, doesn't even look inside of it, just looks at it and goes, cover it up. Don't go in it. People go in those places and they don't come back. So cover it up. So that's what they did. And so I asked him, where is this? You know, where, where were you guys digging? Where he says, I can't tell you. I'll lose my job. I had to sign an NDA. I'll lose my job if I tell you. But I'll tell you one thing. When you look at that strip mine and you trying to figure out where this, where this was, it's where we're not digging anymore. He says it headed toward the Capitol building, Capitol Hill. So that's like right toward Crossroads Mall. That kind of blew me away to hear this from some, you know, from a, from a, a guy that works at a, you know, at a, at a strip mine. I mean, it's like, why would this guy make this up? He wouldn't, (laughs) he has no reason to, you know? And that direction, just, I mean, towards the Capitol. Yeah, that's exactly, right. it, that's it. He said it was heading toward the Capitol, and from, from Beck Street, if you drew a line from Beck Street to the Capitol, it would run right through the Capitol, right through Crossroads Mall. And, you know, Dave, that story is eerily similar and familiar to, I don't know if you've heard of Anjali, this this girl, Anjali, uh, this woman coming forward about a, story similar of an underground base in a mountain somewhere in the Mojave Desert. But what she does recollect 
is that this cavern that she, cave, cavern, whatever that she entered, base, was like you said. There was no seams and uh, no junctures, no rivets, no no, no corners, no nothing like that. I don't know. Yeah, really similar. Really similar. Yeah. So another thing with the underground, I mean, it just kind of popped into my mind is, hey, you know, I used to, used to work next door to a company called ALE, mm-hmm. um, Antarctic Logistics Expeditions. They're the ones that pack your stuff for when you go to Antarctica. So they pack them up in these pods and they weigh it and all this type of thing. And they try to minimize what you're bringing and, you know, for the weight purposes and all that type of thing. And so I started hearing all this stuff about Antarctica on the news. And it was probably been a a year or two. But you remember when all these bigwigs were going to Antarctica, you know, the Pope, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the astronauts were going down there and you know it's just like all these high profile people were going to antarctica and you're like why why were they being invited down there and it's almost like they were being shown something yeah you know and i remember um one of the astronauts i think it was i can't remember what which one it was but when he went down there they had to fly him out in some kind of emergency situation like he had a heart attack yeah something something squirrely happened Right, and, and there was there was no kind of um, after story to it or follow up or anything like that on it, and I just thought it was really strange that you know because to go to Antarctica it takes a lot of logistics. I mean, you just can't fly in and out of that place because of the weather and you know all all sorts of you know variables that are involved with with going down there. So for them to fly him in show him whatever they wanted to show him. And then apparently it was so shocking to him that he had a heart attack and they had it, you know, had this emergency flight out of there to get him out of there and all this stuff. That's a huge thing. And that's something that, that caught my eye. And I was like, something more is going on there. So I started looking into the Antarctica thing more and started hearing stories from the St. Linda Mullen Howell and, you know, these, these, Military people say that there's some kind of base there, or there's this giant door. They went in. It was like tropical. It was you know 70 degrees, and you know all this type of thing. And they're like, okay, well, let me ask ALE to see if they know anything, you know. And so I hit up a few of their employees. That, you know, and they, they go down there twice a year. So I hit them up about this. Oh, you see the pictures online about these pyramids down there, and he goes. Oh, I have to look into that. And I said, well, what's the deal with the astronauts going down there and the Pope going there? And he goes, I don't know. He says, that's really unusual for those type of people to go down there because usually the people that go down there are either working for scientists or they're scientists themselves or they're adventurers that want to say, oh, I want to walk across, you know, and hit the South Pole by foot or I want to do it on mountain bike or, you know. Well, I want to be the first one to skydive and that, you know, that type of thing. They're adventurers and stuff like this. But for these high profile people to be going down there, he's, I just don't get, you know, a couple of them say, I don't get why they were going down there. He's, and it's a mystery to me too, why they were down there. He says, and then he was telling me, you know, it takes a lot of logistics to go down there and a lot of planning and this and that. And for these people to go down there and say the Pope, I mean, how old is he? <laughs> I mean, for him to make that journey, it had to be really important for him to go down there for them, them, whatever they show, you know, we're showing him. But he did tell one of the employees did tell me about the, the crew that went down there, the film crew that disappeared. Mm. And they found their, they found their film footage in their camp, but they never found them. And he says what they found on the cameras, because they did find a couple camcorders, what they found on those those camcorders was stunning. He says, now I've heard rumors. I said, I haven't seen the footage myself, but I heard that they came, came across something that would have changed the world. And they ended up disappearing. Now, I don't know if they were taken out by an elite group because they were going to talk or... or 
whoever was at this base or underground thing or whatever they came across might have taken them out or it just it just fascinates me the whole Antarctica thing um and I try to follow it as much as I can but when you start talking about the underground that that comes to mind for me is the the Antarctica thing and what's what's really going on down there because I think that's that is going to be a major part this is my opinion I think it's going to be a major part in disclosure well, exactly. And how far-fetched could this all be really? I mean, people in areas of Afghanistan, Kandahar, uh, places where these giants are known to roam, have been saying it for years. Nobody ever believes it until soldiers of ours claim to have encountered it. So this stuff, right. I mean, a lot of this stuff is spoken of. The The hollow earth or the underground bases in Antarctica have been I mean, they're, they're rumored so often that when I've spoken with scientists that are down in Antarctica, they almost, they know it's coming. Like they're aware of the, they know what everybody thinks. So, um, just that fact makes it pretty, pretty interesting. Um, before we, as we kind of start to wrap up here, Dave, can you tell our listeners where they can keep, uh, touch with you on social media, what you have going on and, and where they can just keep in touch with everything Utah UFO hunters as well? Yeah, sure. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Utah UFO hunters on Facebook, or you can follow me, Dave Rosenfeld on Facebook. We do have, um, the website is still up. It hasn't been updated in years, but it's still a great archive for Utah information on UFOs, Bigfoot, crop circles, anything that happens in Utah. It's a huge database um, at aliendave.com. Um, we do have an Instagram, a couple Instagram pages, um, Utah UFO hunters, um, aliendave.com. Um, and let's see, what was the other one? Um, oh, we're starting a Twitter page, but it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, so. Cool. Cool. And, uh, we were lightly discussing this last time, but, uh, the weather is getting warmer and you go out quite often researching and doing reconnaissance for UFO camps and other things. Um, and, uh, definitely people, if they want to keep in touch with that, that's a really cool way to keep in touch with your, your photography and, uh, a, a lot of the things that you do on the side. And I think it's uh, pretty cool stuff. Right. And, um, like I say, um, we're, we're working on this project that's coming up. I'm hoping that it goes through. It's, it's one of those projects where the producer doesn't have anybody above him. So he gets to do what he wants to do with it. When that gets going and starts to come to fruition, I'm going to let everybody know where they can find that as well. Um, we both, Ryan, you and I, with Space Wolf Research and UFO Hunters, are both sponsors to that project. They've already put us on the books. So we are considered sponsors. We're going to have our logos on their stuff and, and all that. So it's, it's moving forward. So cool, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. It's always great to talk to you, and I love all the info you have. Definitely uh, can't wait to do it again. Yeah, man. Hit me up anytime. All right. Take care. Always a fun time. All right, man. Thanks, man. Bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Rosenfeld, founder of the Utah UFO Hunters. You've probably heard of him as Alien Dave. Go to aliendave.com. Go to uh, Utah UFO Hunters on Instagram, Facebook, other social media outlets. Um, also Dave Rosenfeld, keep an eye out for what he's got going on. There's always a lot, whether that be podcasts, television, and more. And he's not an armchair researcher. He's out in the field. He, he goes out for by foring some of the hardest trails there are looking for some of the hardest stuff to see. So definitely, um, keep a pulse on what he's got going on. It's always fascinating, amazing, and very knowledge based and very, very knowledgeable stuff. Uh, he, he gathers a lot, a, a lot of knowledge here in Utah, and I, I love to stay in touch with him. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around.
blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an e Vizine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an e Vizine. Blast off, blast off. Blast off.